The Good Samaritan is arguably the most famous Bible passage of all. Think with me, if you would, about all of the different good things that bear the title in our world, Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan hospitals, Good Samaritan care facilities, Good Samaritan ministries, Good Samaritan churches, Good Samaritan equality advocates, Good Samaritan missions agencies, there are Good Samaritan laws, there are Good Samaritan awards, it's even considered a philosophy. And I'm thankful in so many different ways for all of these Good Samaritan good things. But here's the question. What does the Good Samaritan story mean? What does the Good Samaritan story mean according to Jesus? I think most people don't know. I think you might know. And if you do, I'll remind you. But I think, I haven't met most people in the world, but based upon the way people use it and based upon conversation, I think it's a pretty good estimate to say most people don't even know what it's about. And it's a great, great story. It's super important. And it's designed to help you see your need for Christ as your Savior. But that's not typically how people understand the Good Samaritan story. And so we are going to be in Luke chapter 10 today looking at the Good Samaritan account from Jesus. And you're thinking, I thought we were going to be in Exodus 15. Well, Mike Grimes thought we were going to be in Exodus 15 too. That's why we sang the Moses song. But about a half hour ago, I said, Mike, are we singing the Moses song? He said, we are. I said, that'll be good warm up for next week when we're in Exodus 15. So it goes sometimes. So I've been... uh outside of Manhattan, Kansas for the weekend so far at a conference on law and gospel and missions and ministry. And all I can think about is law and gospel and missions and ministry. It's all I've been talking about all weekend. It's all I've been hearing about from all the speakers all weekend. And so we're going to do learning about the law and the gospel so that we can understand the gospel better, so we can understand Christ better, so we can be better equipped as Christians looking at the Good Samaritan account. And so that's going to be the plan for today. And I have nothing on my calendar. I'm not going to do any more traveling for a while. So I don't even know what state I'm in half of the time. I'm committed to Exodus. Um, so it has been crazy since January. And so I'm so happy to not be going anywhere for a while. So I won't promise Exodus 15 next week because things happen, but I think we're going to do it. Plus, I want you to be motivated to sing. So next week, while we're singing, I'm going to walk around the auditorium and see if you if your heart's really in it. Because if you understand redemption in Exodus 14, I think you're probably not singing about the greatness of God like this. I don't think that's how Exodus 15 is. So I'll be policing the sing. No, I won't. I won't. I promise. But it's a reason to rejoice if you've been redeemed. And Exodus 15 is the Moses song. Oh, just a preview. I can't help myself because I have done some work on it. The Moses song from Exodus 15 is what Christians sing in the book of Revelation. They sing the Moses song because we understand redemption even better than Moses and Israel did because we have ultimate Exodus, ultimate redemption. Okay, I scratched the itch, I hope, to give you a little flavor of Exodus 15. How about Luke chapter 10, verse 29? 
Luke 10, 29, we're going to hear from Jesus and about Jesus. It says in verse 29 of Luke's gospel account, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Verse 36 then says of Luke 10, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. To help us grasp the significance of the Good Samaritan account, the Good Samaritan story that Jesus uses to make a profound point so that we would understand the gospel better. I have five questions. And if we can work through the questions together, asking the question, answering the question, I think it'll be a good way for us to understand this. And I so badly want you to understand this. It's so misunderstood. I don't have any secret interpretations. I will prove to you from the text itself what it means from Jesus. But lots of people, people you know, maybe you don't understand this. And it causes us to really not even understand Christianity if we're not careful. So let's answer, ask the first question. Who is the hero of the story? Who is the hero of the story? I know I like to ask trick questions. I'm not asking you a trick question. Okay. The answer is super obvious. Who's the hero of the good Samaritan story? Anybody starts with an S. Right? Or starts with a G, right? It's, it's the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the hero of the story. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. You're thinking, I came here to learn that. I could figure that out. Well, look, we're starting with the obvious. The Samaritan is obviously the commendable figure in the story. It's not the priest in verse 31. Uh, it's not the Levite in verse 32, verse 33, but a Samaritan. Then it goes on to say in verse 33 at the end, he had compassion. Then in verse 36, by way of review, which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It's clear in verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy, that's the Samaritan. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So even the Jewish law expert who we'll learn more about later acknowledges who the hero is. It does seem that he can't bring himself to say it. It's the one who did the right thing. Because the Jews despise the Samaritans. And we'll talk more about that. Well, in fact, we'll talk about it now. It's ironic. It's unsettling. It's, I don't know if bizarre is the right word. It's scandalous. It's provocative. It's, it's designed to, to get, to draw us in. The Samaritans, the hero? Samaritans should not be the hero in any kind of Jewish literature. 
Samaritans play for the wrong team. Samaritans, think with me about this. Samaritans are not part of a different, in our day, we would say a different denomination. Samaritans would be part of a cult, we would say. Okay? Uh, when you, when you have the, the wrong book because they have an altered Bible, that's a sign of a cult. It's like that. So they have an altered Bible. Uh, they have a different temple. They go to Mount Gerizim, not, not Mount Zion. Uh, that's a problem. It's also a problem, therefore, because if God has prescribed a certain thing, the temple in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and he has, well, if you don't have that, you don't have the right priesthood. You don't have the right sacrificial system. I mean, we could just keep counting up the things. Samaritans are, are other. Remember Jesus in John chapter 4. When he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he's kind and generous and gracious and all of those things. But he says, salvation is of the Samaritans. No, by way of contrast, salvation is, is of the Jews. Samaritans worship in ignorance. They're idolaters. And so that's what makes this so provocative and, and intriguing and, and gets our attention. It's shock value. In Luke chapter 9, just before this, in Luke 9, uh, verse 51 and following, it says that Jesus entered a village of the Samaritans. And then it says in verse 53 of chapter 9, but the people did not receive him, the Samaritan people, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. See, they, they, they don't go to Jerusalem to the temple. They don't go there to worship. They go to a different place. And so they reject Jesus. So keep these things in mind because when we look at Luke chapter 10, the one who does the right thing is the one you'd never expect to do the right thing. And it's on purpose bringing shame, rebuke, confrontation to the one who is a part of the right religion, who is a Jew. And it's meant to be provocative so that it's unsettling. So that you stop and say, what? It's one of those kinds of things. It sparks our interest. The one who's part of a false religion is doing better than the one who's part of the right religion, at least externally. Fascinating, huh? Next question. What's the message of the story? This isn't a trick question either. What's the message of the story? Be compassionate. Help people. Be good. Even if they don't look like you. Even if they're part of a different religion. Even if they're your theological enemies. And, and we could theologize a little bit because we, we know enough to be able to do so, what the Bible teaches elsewhere. They're made in God's image too. They do need to believe the right thing, but you know what? They're still human beings and they're special. A fellow image bearer, a fellow human being, they should be treated with a certain kind of respect, a unique kind of respect. Our ethics should reflect that kind of thing. The, the, the message is be good to other people. It's good to be good. Thus the good Samaritan. That, 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 that's the basic message. The, the, the initial basic message. There's going to be more to it, but let's not miss that. He had compassion at the end of verse 33. And Jesus says, go and do likewise in verse 37. In verse 37, he showed mercy. It's good to show mercy. It's right to show mercy. 
even toward people that you don't like. It is why we have Samaritan paintings, Samaritan sculptures, Samaritan poetry, Samaritan films, Samaritan hospitals, Samaritan laws, Samaritan organizations, because they're all saying it's good to be good. Isn't that good? So far, so good, right? You're still wondering why I get paid to study the Bible? Because <laughs> you're going, okay, yeah, I'm with you so far. Now it's time to enter the word that's so intrusive sometimes in my sermon, and that's the word but. But. If you stop here, if you think that's the intent of Jesus, if you think that's why he's telling the story ultimately, if you think that's the ultimate purpose, you would be incorrect. Gravely so. To the point where we probably won't get Christianity right. We probably won't understand Jesus. We probably won't understand the gospel. And we certainly won't understand our own sin and therefore need for Christ. We, th- there's more to it. We, 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 we have to understand something super important beyond what's the initial meaning. The initial meaning is it's good to be good. Isn't that good? Everybody go and be good. What's the next question? The next question is in answering... Uh, The next question is, what is the purpose or the greater purpose or the greater significance of the story? We've seen the message, be good, like the Good Samaritan, but there's a purpose behind it. And this is critical. It's crucial. It's offensive. It's critical and it's crucial. It's important. And lots of you know this. And I would guess lots of you don't. So if you know it, I think you came to the right place because I'm reminding you. If you don't know this, I think you came to the right place because once you see it, as I like to say so many times, you can't unsee it. And you're going to go, wow. I hope, maybe not too loud, but I hope you do. <laughs> What's the ultimate purpose behind all of this? Well, before we answer it, and we're, we're going to answer it by looking at the broader passage. But before we answer it, oh, a couple of Israel trips ago. I lose track sometimes. A couple of Israel trips ago, and if you go to Israel sometime, uh, typically they'll take you to a traditional site uh, on the road, an old road between Jerusalem and Jericho. You can picture it in your mind. Um, And they might say wilderness, but think more desert wilderness, arid, dry. uh, And the bus will take you, and you can go and overlook this valley. It's a cool place. Uh, it's actually a pretty well-known mountain bike place, and that's on my bucket list. I've seen mountain bikers there. So I have wakeboarded on the Sea of Galilee. That's Christ-like. Um, so, but I want a mountain bike in this area. But the last trip, the guy said, yeah, I, I would hike here, but either in a group or armed. He said, it's still dangerous. Well, that actually would reflect our passage. It's a dangerous route. A couple of guides ago, an evangelical guide, a good guide, we'd used him before. He'd led, I don't know how many evangelical tours, hundreds and hundreds of them. He listened to the devotion because you pull the bus over and you go over to the cool site. You can see all of this and, and you have the pastor lead a devotion. My brother happened to lead the devotion, my brother Mike. And, and he read the whole passage, unlike we've just done. We're about to read the whole passage. 
And my brother read the whole passage and talked about what the purpose behind it is. And it's in the text. And the guy said, I've never heard that before. And I think he was earnest. And we had good conversations about it. More times than not, the Good Samaritan story is all about, and we treat it as if it's the ultimate purpose, it's good to be good, so be good, and isn't that good? That's true, but it's not the ultimate purpose. And the ultimate purpose is good, but it's shocking. We better get it right, though. Let's keep going, okay? Now what we're going to do, we're going to look at the big purpose as Jesus intended it. We're not going to start in verse 29. We're going to start in verse 25. And hopefully some of you were thinking, why didn't the pastor start in verse 25? Well, to get everybody's attention. Now, now we're in verse 25. Okay, it says, Luke 10, 25, and behold, a lawyer, don't think... An attorney like we have today, an expert in the Bible's law. Today we would probably say a theologian. Okay? That kind of expert. Behold a lawyer, an expert theologian in the law, the law of God. And behold a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. It's aggressive. He's going to test Jesus. Jesus is on trial here. To test, to put him to the test saying, teacher... Here, please get this, please, please, please. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the bazillion dollar question. That's the right question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is about eternal life. This isn't just about being, it's good to be good, even though that's true. This is about eternal life. Verse 26 says, he said to him, what is written in the law? Usually I hate it when people answer a question with a question. Sometimes I do anyway, but... I'm a Christian, so I like it when Jesus does it. I'm like, I'm with him. Okay, you know it's going to be good, right? What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you have answered how? Correctly. And then he says, do this and you will live. Interesting. More than interesting. Provocative. Super important. The right question, the ultimate question, what do I do to gain eternal life? And he says, do this and live to the summary of the law. Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's quoting from the Old Testament, summary of the law. Love God and love neighbor. And you'll gain eternal life. That's really what the whole, the whole story is about. It's to illustrate that. It's to drive that point home so that you know and I know that the one and only way to gain eternal life is to perfectly love God and perfectly love neighbor. And already I want to say to you, how's that going for you? We're not to the good news yet. This is in the gospel according to Luke, the good news according to Luke, but that's not good news to sinners. It's good because it's true and right, but that's not good news. Please get this. What does God require? He requires that you obey the law perfectly. And if you do, you'll gain eternal life. Please know that. Even if you do know that, I I guarantee you, you know people who don't know that. I guarantee you, you know people who go to church every Sunday who don't know that. 
What does God require? Well, you're just, just be good. You're right. He does require to be good, but like that kind of good. Serious good. And then it goes on to say in verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? That's a head fake and a dodge if there ever was one. Jesus replied, and he goes on to tell the story about traveling the dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And then he says at the end of our text, verse 37, look there if you would. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The purpose of the good Samaritan story, Jesus creates the story, even though it would have been based upon things that would have happened, common occurrence. He creates the story to make this point. And the point would be that that man doesn't have eternal life. Because even the cult-belonging Samaritan is outdoing him. Shaming him. He thinks he can justify himself. He thinks he can earn his way to heaven. He's not even as good as the cult-belonging Samaritan. This whole thing is designed to have this religious law expert say, I can't do it then. I'm spiritually busted. I'm spiritually inept, incapable. Woe is me for I am undone, to quote other passages. Do you, do you see this? If you can get this and understand this, you, you will change your world. Because see, that gets people ready to understand the gospel. There is no need for a savior if you're just a good person and it's good to be good, so please be good. He's pushing this guy for perfect goodness. And he's shame, right? Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's showing him that he's so far from that, he's not even in the same time zone or zip code because even a Samaritan is better than him. That, that, that's the whole point. It's the whole point. To cross-reference to other passages, lest you think I'm just somehow finding something that's not here. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, wow. But we know according to Romans 3.10 and Psalm 14, there's none righteous, no, not one, so we're all disqualified. The law exposes our lack of law-keeping is what it does. So we have a funeral here Saturday for the Banghearts. They used to sit right up front. Somebody asked me this morning, I, I don't know if I remember the Banghearts. I'm pretty new here. I'm like super suntan. Uh, Dave and Jill, Dave's Mr. Softball, sweet couple. I said, dressed like Miami Vice. They go, oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> Dave always had the fashion. So they, they breathed their last breaths within 48 hours of each other. Um, high school sweethearts, just a sweet kind of story really for elderly saints to go to heaven. So that's Saturday. I bring it up though, because I met with some family members and we had a good conversation and a good discussion. And I'm so thankful that they asked us to have the memorial service here. But the best I could understand, there was a little bit of a concern and, and the question was asked in our meeting, you know, so, so pastor, what do you believe about what happens when you die? And how do you know for sure? 
And I could be wrong, but you know, when people have dementia and Alzheimer's and it goes over time and you forget things and, and then you see people toward the end of their life and sometimes they don't always act as Christianly as they did before. I, I don't know if this is true for them or not, but I was just speculating. I'm speculating now just to, to illustrate this, but I've seen it in my own family. And I said, I want to assure you that if they're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they breathe their last breath, they're absent from the body. The Bible says they're present with the Lord. And I said, if you're wondering if they were good enough, especially as you got to see them maybe in a different kind of state, I said, let's think about that. I said, let me just use myself as an example. I said, I'm a Christian pastor. I've been in pastoral ministry for 30 years. I think I've already sinned enough during our meeting to earn hell. Eyes got big. What? And, and we had good rapport. Things went great. It ended great. But there was the shock. And I said, because I don't think I've ever, ever loved God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. I said, I love your parents. I want to officiate the memorial, but I didn't love them perfectly. And I never loved God perfectly. I said, the same would be true for them. But they trusted in the perfect Savior who did everything right and went to the cross to pay for every wrongdoing we've ever done and was raised from the dead. And he said, come to me and I will give you rest. That's good. I'm not sure if they believe me or not, but I hope they did. Does that make sense why I would tell that story? This, this is designed, this passage is designed to cause you to be spiritually undone. Okay? He's a, he's a theologian, a Bible expert, and Jesus wants him to see that he's not going to heaven. He's not gaining eternal life because of those things. And even cult members actually shame him. It's all designed to have him look outside of himself to gain eternal life. That's the whole thing. That's the whole. And if you do, then there's eternal life. So next question is number four, who gains eternal life? Who gains eternal life? I hope you can answer that question. This guy asked the question in verse 25, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a really good question. I want more people to ask that question. He states the law and what does Jesus say in verse 28? You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I hope you remember and lots of you know this. I know that statement. Do this and live. Do this and live. Do this and live. It's in the Old Testament. It's throughout the Old Testament. And here we are in the New Testament. God's standard has never changed. It's always if you do this perfectly, you'll have eternal life. So who in our passage? Here we go. Who in our passage meets the requirement? Oh, it's kind of a trick question. Think about it for a second. Who in our passage meets the requirement? Oh, as we answer that, remember Jesus said elsewhere, lest you don't like my passage, Matthew nineteen seventeen. if you would enter life, keep the commandments. So it's not just here, but answering that question, who in our passage meets the requirement? Does the, do, do the two Jewish people meet the requirement? No, they were, they weren't even as good as a Samaritan. Does the Samaritan meet the requirement? No. The Samaritans acting better than the Jews. But what's the problem with Samaritans? 
They're Samaritans. That's the problem. The problem with Samaritans is that they're Samaritans. They deny the Bible. They deny the place. Therefore, they deny the temple. Therefore, they deny what God says and deny the priesthood. And they deny the sacrificial system as designed by God. The, the, the Samaritan isn't the one. The Samaritan does the right thing, relatively speaking, but not to gain eternal life. No possible way. The title for this sermon should be The Good Bad Samaritan. Right? Samaritans are bad by definition, even according to Jesus. Read John chapter 4. But they do relative good and it shames the others. How about, how puzzling is this? The, the, the label Good Samaritan is pretty puzzling. It's like saying Good Idolaters Hospital. <laughs> Think about it. They're Samaritans. It's a cult. Good Idolaters Hospital. Or how about this one? Good Bible Rejectors Orphanage. Let's do one more because we're having some fun. Good unsaved Jesus rejectors church. (laughs) And we could go on. And if you're offended by that, sorry, not sorry. The Samaritan doesn't meet the obligation of do this and live. No possible way. So no one in the story meets the obligation of loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving their neighbor as themselves. True or false? Kind of true, right? We do this. The storyteller does. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. That the storyteller does meet the requirements. He most certainly meets the requirements. John chapter 2 verse 1 ends with, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, I love that title. Because that means Jesus Christ, the law keeper. You know, First John chapter 2, if you sin, we have an advocate. How good is our advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the law keeper. Jesus Christ is the one and only one who loved God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved his neighbor as himself. He's the one who fulfills the law. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. These are just common statements of the Bible. And we go, he's the one. He's the one. The whole thing is designed for this law expert to say, then I can't do it. Even the Samaritans are better than me if I'm honest. What shall I do? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. That's law talk. And I'll give you rest. I'll give you Sabbath. You can just trust in me. You can rest in me. It's so good. It's so great. But you see what's happening. If we don't understand the gravity of the law and the significance of what God requires, if we do law light, well, you know, God just wants you to be relatively good like Samaritans and It'll be okay. We have a perverted gospel. We'll never ultimately look to the biblical Christ. No, we want to be at the place where we know do this and live. We can't do this and live. And therefore we have to say, I'm going to trust in Jesus who did this and lived, raised from the dead 
on behalf of his people. Isn't it good? This is a time that we would, we would make sure we don't downplay the law or people will never understand the gospel, but we don't blur the two lest we wreck both of them. Both are important. Both are important for you when you share the gospel with people. Both of them are important for this local congregation. Both of them are important around the world in gospel ministry. I just got a great email from our missionary in India, Vineet, who's like on our pastoral staff because we're the only supporting church. And he just gave me great stuff about law, what God requires, and gospel, what God graciously provides. And it was so heartwarming. And he's saying more and more pastors, more and more Christians in his sphere of influence are understanding this so they can preach the true gospel because they're preaching the true law. I love it. Titus chapter 3 verse 7 says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh, eternal life happens how? By grace to us. Romans chapter 5, through faith to us. Because of the work of Jesus. Well, we probably shouldn't take the time to do it, but you could write down Romans chapter 10 verses 2 to 4. It teaches the same thing. This is why we want to be united to Christ by faith. Because if you're united to Christ by faith, God sees you as if you love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And God justifies us. That just means declared a perfect law keeper. good. Well, let's end with this final question. How does the law of God relate to us now that we're Christians? How does the law of God relate to us now that we're Christians? We'll do this one ever so quickly because we do want to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but I I feel compelled. Our text doesn't answer that question. It's designed to say, I need somebody to help me. His name is Jesus. But it it is an important question. And the Bible's pretty clear. First, we need the law to expose our sin and guilt. This passage is meant to do that. And it causes us to look to Christ and receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. And so Christians now for a long time have been saying guilt, grace in Christ. And now Christians still need the law. And we are to obey the law so that we'll gain eternal life. We're to obey the law because we have eternal life. We're to obey the law out of gratitude, the last G. This is what Romans chapter 6 talks about. This is what the Bible talks about all over the place. We could go there. We won't go there for the sake of time. To the point where even, you know, Jesus and John, his beloved apostle, talk about, I've given you a new law. And then all he does is quote the old law. And you're like, huh, the new laws that you love. But that's the old law. It's new Because you don't have to do it to gain eternal life. You're now doing it out of gratitude. So it's new because you're new. And your relationship with God is new. Because you have a mediator. That law is handed to you by Jesus, if you will. Your mediator. Not to condemn you. But because he has already done this so that you can live. And now we want to love with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Even though we won't do it perfectly, that's our aim. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. Not for salvation, but because we have salvation. So let's remember that. We want to be good. Oh, should I say it? I don't think so. I I almost just said we want to be good Samaritans. I can't bring myself to say that. 
because we don't want to be good cult members. <laughs> we want to do good like the Samaritan did good, but we don't want to be good Samaritans. One of my favorite preachers in the last week, I listened to some sermons on this, and, and he talked about how Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. I don't buy it. Jesus is the ultimate good one. But I can't put Jesus in the same sentence as the Samaritan in a positive way. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for great classic texts like this one. It seems like we've gotten off track and become confused about what even basic passages like this mean. So we would ask that there would be a time of refreshing and a time of rediscovery that we would go back to the way Christians used to understand this before we became so forgetful about what Jesus meant by what he said, that we would be better evangelists, that we would be more faithful Christians as a result. We would be better witnesses. Thank you that so many people are rediscovering these things. May we find joy in rediscovering these things here in Omaha, but also around the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.